Hello, Oyster Bay, and welcome. Welcome to a long overdue episode of the Oyster Bay Arena, a podcast where we cover all things related to Oyster Bay, our peaceful hamlet here on the North Shore of Long Island, New York. Uh, I've been meaning to get out a history episode, actually any episode at all for some time, um, but life has been busy and had a hard time carving out some time to put one together. Uh, but all of a sudden, time no longer seems to be that much of a problem, surprisingly. Uh, I find that I have time in abundance. Um, within the last three weeks, I have three additional hours that I no longer have to spend commuting to work. So what better time to get some podcast episodes out than when you are also all sitting around looking for something to do or something to listen to? Uh, I'm going to apologize if the audio quality uh, for this podcast is not as good as what you've uh, become accustomed to from this or other podcasts. Um, I am recording this from the living room. The uh, podcast studio is currently occupied by um, video game playing uh, children. Um, so if you hear a squeak, a moan, a dog bark, or uh, the refrigerator opening and closing a hundred times, um, please uh, excuse it. Anyway, how are you? How are you doing in the time of the coronavirus? Uh, it seems like only yesterday we were all hanging out on social media arguing about uh, the school residency requirements and whether one should opt out of uh, standardized testing. I would note that as of uh, 20 minutes ago, that particular decision uh, is now taken out of our hands since uh, New York State has suspended the um, testing for uh, the year. Um But fast forward two weeks, and uh, now it's sort of the, the mini apocalypse. Uh, we're all out of toilet paper, and many of us are trying to work from home, surrounded by kids, dogs, cats, and anxiety. Um, have you been watching the news, listening to the news? I used to look forward to getting a notification on my phone uh, that there was breaking news, and now I, I don't even want to pick the thing up. Uh, closing the gyms, stores, restaurants, not enough respirators, not enough tests. Fantastic, right? Uh, also today, uh, Governor Cuomo announced that he'd be closing all non-essential businesses uh, and would be enforcing that with civil penalties and fines. So it looks like uh, the confinement that we've been experiencing in the last few days is only going to um, get more intense. So I don't know about you folks, but I've spent the last few days trying to uh, find elderberry syrup. Apparently there's an old uh, folksy idea that it stops a virus from replicating, at least with the common cold, so why not give it a shot with... Um, COVID-19. Unfortunately, there's not uh, any elderberry syrup to be found for love or money anywhere on Long Island, as near as I can figure out. Um, I've also been making hand sanitizer out of aloe vera and isopropyl alcohol. Uh, simple to do, assuming you can find aloe vera gel and isopropyl alcohol. Give you a quick recipe. Um, you need two-thirds of a cup of 99% rubbing alcohol. Uh, or ethanol. Um, so I suppose if you have any Everclear lying around the liquor cabinet, that would uh, that would be effective. Uh, you mix that with one third of a cup of aloe vera gel, and uh, if you have any essential oils around, eight to ten drops of an essential oil like lavender, vanilla, peppermint, grapefruit, that sort of thing. Uh, you got to kind of mix it together with a spoon and a bowl. It'll be liquidy at first, and then it'll gel up some. Uh, and then you put it in a recycled uh, liquid soap or hand sanitizer bottle and go about your merry way. It's easy enough to do. Just make sure you stir it enough so it turns back into a gel. Otherwise, it'll be kind of weird, weird consistency. 
So uh, if you're wondering about that music playing in the background, uh, let me introduce you to the musical stylings of Burt Williams singing the number one hit from 1906, Nobody. Um, I'm going to follow Burt's hit with the entirety of the top 10 songs or so from that year, uh, which will play in the background during the entirety of the episode. Uh, So why are we listening to that? Well, I thought we might take a little trip back in time and talk about another epidemic that was freaking out New Yorkers back in 1906. Uh, I'm speaking, of course, uh, about the typhoid epidemic. And the typhoid epidemic has a tangential relationship with Oyster Bay through uh, Mary Mallon, a.k.a. Typhoid Mary. Um, Before we get into the story of Mary uh, and the epidemic and the issue of what should be done with asymptomatic carriers who fail to obey government directives, more on that later, I thought we might take a brief look at what life was like in New York in 1906. In 1906, our own Theodore Roosevelt was president of the United States, having been elected to a full four-year term in 1904 after his first term started in 1901 with the assassination of William McKinley. Uh, Oyster Bay was bustling. It was a busy year for Teddy Roosevelt, both professionally and personally. Um, Personally, in February, uh, February saw the wedding of his daughter Alice, his first daughter, who was married at the White House to Nicholas Longworth, a Republican uh, congressman. Um, The United States writ large in 1906, uh, our population was 85.4 million. We had 45 stars on the American flag. Utah, New Mexico, and Arizona were not yet ratified as states. Uh, In 1906, Teddy Roosevelt was the first president to travel outside the U.S. while a sitting president. Uh, At age 43, he was the youngest president. Uh, And his was a (laughs) high-energy, optimistic, and progressive presidency. Um, A notable year for legislation, uh, Roosevelt shepherded the Antiquities Act through Congress, ultimately preserving and protecting swaths of uh, Western land as national parks. Um, the Jungle by Upton Sinclair was published in 1906, which exposed corruption in the Chicago meatpacking business. And uh, the brouhaha that the publication of that uh, work uh, elicited uh, would drive the passage of the Meat Inspection Act and Pure Food and Drug Act. Uh, 1906 was also the year of the first radio broadcast with voice and music uh, that was aired in the United States. It was also the year of the San Francisco earthquake which killed 3,000 and left 300,000 homeless. In back home in Oyster Bay, um, the town was charmed by a circus that uh, blew in through town um, in August. Um, Back then, the circus was a big enough deal that uh, newspapers reported on it. And um, New York Times reported on August 1st that Oyster Bay's great day has come and gone. Senators and representatives may arrive on every train. Policies may be decided and peace made between nations. Oyster Bay is used to these things and views them with a world-wearied air. But Circus Day comes but once a year. Um, The charm circle of Big Tent was pitched in the natural amphitheater where President Roosevelt made the 4th of July speech in the rain. 
It rained again today, but it would have taken more than an ordinary shower to dampen the ardor of the gray-haired boys who did not care to see the show but had to go to take the children. That's in quotes. I, I assume that's referring to something uh, topical of the time. That I have no idea what it means. Uh, the Roosevelt children and their friends accepted the invitation. Frank Robinson attended the afternoon performance. The pleasant faces of the happy group of children attracted the attention of the performers, and when they learned who the young people were, everyone from the lovely lady riders down to the boys who hoist the trapeze performers to their lofty perch jumped into their work and did their best to prove that theirs was a sure enough show. Good stuff, right? Um, also, that September in Oyster Bay, two large Navy ships journeyed into Oyster Bay Harbor to delight the townsfolk. Um, I'm trying to imagine what that would look like today if a large aircraft carrier um, sailed into New York, uh, rather into Oyster Bay, uh, and the president hopped on like he did here. Anyway, um, now there was also some, some of the local architecture that we're familiar with was, uh, was built during the year 1906. Um, the one building that housed the Oyster Bay Guardian was um, erected during that year. And um, I guess the Guardian used that as offices until late in the 20th century. Meanwhile, um, back in the real world, uh, outside of the hamlet, certain products were introduced with which you may be familiar. Planters Peanuts, introduced in 1906. The name Hot Dog, the food had been around for a while, but nobody had ever called them a hot dog before. Uh, Post Toasties. A1 Steak Sauce, Hot Fudge Sundays, Kellogg's Corn Flakes. Uh, back to Roosevelt, he visited Panama that year, and in the latter part of the year was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for negotiating the treaty that ended the Sino-Japanese War. Looking at movement uh, around the world uh, between the years 1880 and 1920, uh, 23.5 million Americans arrived in the United States, most of them from Southern and Eastern Europe, uh, parts of Asia, also Latin America. In 1906 alone, the U.S. received uh, 1,100,735 newcomers. It was the largest number to ever arrive in a single year. Uh, single largest donor nation was Italy. Uh, most Americans were still earning their livings in agriculture in 1906, but an increasing number were drawn to the steady paychecks offered in factories, mills, and mines. Um, and uh, there was a rising uh, class of very wealthy people who needed um, domestic help. And that's kind of where we get into uh, Typhoid Mary, or Mary Mallon. Um, she was an Irish cook and uh, an immigrant. She was born in 1868 in County Tyrone in what is now Northern Ireland. She migrated to the United States in 1883, maybe 1884, and lived with her aunt and uncle for a time and later found work as a cook for affluent families in the New York area. Seeing as Typhoid Mary was a cook by trade, it might be interesting to take a look at what she might have been cooking. A uh, typical menu in 1906 Breakfast uh, cereal cooked with dates, scrambled eggs with parsley, uh, cream potatoes, toast, and coffee. Not too different, although maybe the cream potatoes have been replaced by hash browns these days. Uh, for lunch, 
potato cakes, cold veal, cornbread, cookies, orange marmalade, and tea. Dinner could have consisted of potato soup, broiled steak with parsley butter, baked potatoes, asparagus on toast, not avocado, uh, young beets and beet green salad or poor man's pudding. Uh, interesting, not that different from today. Although if you ever go back and take a look at pictures um, from the era, it's noteworthy that most of the people that you see walking around were um, normal size, not uh, not quite as heavy set as we are today. So back to Mary. Uh, from 1900 to 1907, Mary Milan worked as a cook, uh, and she worked in the New York City area for seven families. Uh, in 1900, she was working in Mamaroneck up in Westchester, uh, where within two weeks of her starting uh, her work there, residents uh, that she was working for developed typhoid fever. Uh, so she moved to 1901, uh, moved to Manhattan, where members of the family she worked for there developed uh, fevers, diarrhea, uh, and the laundress in the household died. Um, she then worked for an attorney and left after seven of the eight people in that household became ill with typhoid fever. In 1906, uh, Mary took a position in Oyster Bay, Long Island, and within two weeks, 10 of the 11 family members were hospitalized with typhoid. Uh, she changed jobs yet again, and similar occurrences happened in three more households. Uh, she worked as a cook for the family of a wealthy New York banker, Charles Henry, Henry Warren. Uh, when the Warrens rented a house in Oyster Bay for the summer of 1906, uh, Mallon went along. And from August 27th to September 3rd, six of the 11 people in the family came down with typhoid fever. Uh, the disease at the time was considered unusual in Oyster Bay, according to three medical doctors who practiced there. Uh, Malin was subsequently hired by other families, and outbreaks followed as she went along. Uh, in 1906, the strange outbreaks of cases in New York attracted the suspicion of Dr. George Soper. Um, that's how the story usually goes, but Soper didn't just develop an interest in typhoid and start investigating. He was actually hired by the Townsend family in Oyster Bay, uh, Townsends of the uh, Culper Spiring fame. Um, and they were concerned that if uh, Oyster Bay was associated with uh, typhoid, they would have trouble renting out their house for the summer. Uh, they were, in fact, the Warrens' landlords, uh, the family that Mary worked for. So Soper checked out everything. He looked at the house's plumbing, he looked at the local shellfish supply, and everything came up negative. He eventually located the cause uh, as Mary Milan, the cook who had worked for the Warrens um, a few weeks before the outbreak. Uh, after researching Mellon's employment history, he discovered that seven families for whom she had cooked for since 1900 had reported cases of typhoid fever, which had resulted in the infection of 22 people and the death of one girl. Now, typhoid usually strikes in poor, unsanitary conditions. Cases among the rich and sanitary of Upper Crust Oyster Bay were unusual. Uh, so it took him not too long before he discovered the common element was the unmarried, heavyset Irish cook of about 40 years who worked in all of those different places. Uh, at the time he was able to identify her as the vector, nobody knew her whereabouts. Um, after each case, after someone got sick, she would leave and give no forwarding address. Um, Soper eventually traced her to an active outbreak in a Park Avenue penthouse, which resulted in the hospitalization of two servants and the death of a daughter in the family. Uh, Soper showed up on Park Avenue 
interviewed Mary and suggested that there might be a connection between the dishes she was serving and the outbreaks of typhoid. Uh, she told him to go jump in a lake. Um, and he, request, he then requested a stool sample, and she uh, threatened him with a meat cleaver. I mean, sure, right? I would have ignored him too. Some fancy Long Island doctor demanding a stool sample. <laughs> I mean, get out of here. Um, but finally, the police and the New York City Health Commissioner um, thought there was sufficient evidence, and they arrested her. Uh, she went kicking and screaming um, as she didn't believe there was any connection between her and the typhoid cases or you know, she was in denial. Um, so uh, how is the disease most likely transmitted, at least in the Oyster Bay case? Um, doctors initially theorized that Malin likely passed along the typhoid germs by failing to vigorously scrub her hands before handling food, hand washing even back then. Um, being seen as a way to avoid the spread of uh, disease. However, since uh, elevated temperatures needed to cook food would have killed uh, the bacteria, uh, Soper wondered just how Malin could have transferred the germs from her hands to the food. Uh, he found the answer in one of Malin's most popular dessert dishes, ice cream with raw peaches cut up and frozen in them. Um, I suppose no better way could be found for a cook to cleanse her hands of microbes and infect a family, Soper wrote. Upon asking uh, uh, Mary about her hand-washing technique, uh, she said that she rarely washed her hands when cooking and felt there was no need. Uh, she didn't consider herself a threat. I mean, sure, right? Why wash your hands? Um, I mean, in all fairness, germ theory was relatively new. Um, it was proposed in the mid-1800s and was just gaining wide acceptance around the turn of the century. Um, healthy carriers also were certainly an oddity. And Mary was definitely a healthy carrier. Uh, I mean, the germ theory of disease, right? We all know it's the currently accepted scientific theory for many diseases, uh, basically stating that microorganisms known as pathogens or germs can lead to disease. And the organisms that are too small to see without magnification invade humans, other animals, and other living hosts. Now, it seems eminently reasonable to us sitting here in the 21st century that uh, uh, germ theory is uh, something that we can accept and understand that small microorganisms that we can't see can make you sick. But uh, for someone with limited education back in the 19th century, that was, um, it was difficult for a lot of medical people to get their heads around, never mind um, uh, average citizen. Um, and of course, prior to the germ theory, everybody believed in the miasma theory, which held that uh, noxious forms of bad air, also called night air, um, was the origin of epidemics due to the bad air emanating from rotting organic matter. Still, if someone's principal job is preparing and serving food, even in 1906, there was an expectation of basic cleanliness. So after her incarceration, uh, cultures of Mary's urine and stools were taken, uh, this time forcibly with the help of prison matrons, uh, and they revealed that her gallbladder was teeming with typhoid salmonella, which is the uh, bacterium that causes uh, typhoid. Um, she refused to have her gallbladder uh, extracted that was offered to her, but not an unreasonable uh, refusal considering the survival rate for such surgery wasn't great in 1906. Uh, or she was offered uh, that she should give up her occupation as a cook, um, maintaining uh, in the face of all evidence to the contrary that she did not carry the disease uh, she declined to uh, give up her life's work. Perhaps also not uh, unreasonable, but 
she maintained in the face of all the evidence to the contrary that she was not carrying any disease. It's a little interesting that the state or city of New York was quite willing to pay for cutting out her gallbladder, but didn't consider the possibility of providing disability relief or payments um, for her to not cook or some way of replacing her income. <laughs> anyway, their answer to what to do with Mary was to confine her to a bungalow in North Brother Island, um, a 16-acre island that sits squarely between Rikers Island and the Bronx in the East River. At the time, it was the site of uh, Riverside Hospital, which was founded in the 1850s as the Smallpox Hospital, Smallpox Hospital, uh, where it was used to treat and isolate victims of that disease, and its mission actually expanded to other quarantinable diseases like tuberculosis. Quick aside on North Brother Island: it um, two years earlier it had, uh, achieved some notoriety and some fame in the New York press as the site of the wreck of the General Slocum which was a steamship that burned on June 15, 1904, claiming the lives of 1,000 people who either died from the fire on board the ship or from drowning before the ship beached on the island shores. Um, it was also apparently a popular place for uh, picnics. Uh, according to a reporter for The New Yorker, the island was the site of many outings of the Honorable John McSorley Pickle Beefsteak Baseball Nine and Chowder Club, was organized by John McSorley of McSorley's Old Ale House down on 4th Street in the village. The bar still exists, and photos of the outings are featured on the walls of the bar, which you can go and look at uh, to this day. So Mary was confined to her bungalow, where she lived by herself, cooking for nobody and with only a fox terrier as a companion. Eventually, she got tired of the forced vacation and decided to plead her case in the Court of Public Opinion and the courts downtown on Center Street. I have never had typhoid in my life and have always been healthy, Mallon wrote. Why should I be banished like a leopard, compelled to live in solitary confinement with only a dog for a companion? Uh, armed with test results from a private laboratory that came up negative, uh, Mary in 1909 sued the health department for her freedom. But the New York Supreme Court denied her petition. Um... It's always been sort of a curiosity as to where Mallon got her money to hire a lawyer and pay the legal bills. Speculation has fallen on uh, William Randolph Hearst, the newspaper magnate who had done so for other people whose stories interested his newspaper's readers. Despite her lack of success in the courts, uh, in 1910, a new health commissioner, Ernest Lederl, agreed to release Mallon if she agreed never to work as a cook again. Yes, sir, Mr. Literal, I will never work as a cook again, said Mary. Uh, soon after she was released, she changed her name to Mary Brown and went out and got a job as a cook. For the next five years, she went through a series of kitchens, spreading illness and death, keeping one step ahead of the frustrated uh, but indefatigable Dr. Sober. Finally, in 1915, a serious epidemic of typhoid erupted among the staff of New York's Sloan Hospital for Women with 25 cases and two deaths. Uh, city health authorities investigated, and they learned that a portly Irish-American woman had suddenly disappeared from the kitchen help. Um, <laughs> her co-workers, apparently at the time, not knowing who she was, nicknamed her Typhoid Mary. Uh, 
What a surprise to them when she was arrested and found out to actually be Typhoid Mary. Anyway, the police tracked her to an estate on Long Island, and this time she went meekly with them. No meat cleavers this time around. Uh, After the second arrest, Mellon spent the last 23 years of her life uh, as a virtual prisoner in forced isolation back on North Brother Island. Um, Although hundreds, if not thousands, of asymptomatic carriers who had been identified walked the sidewalks of New York freely, Typhoid Mary alone lived in exile. This was largely due to the public opinion, which had turned pretty firmly against her after her failure to stay out of the kitchen and after the three deaths. Uh, She was fated to cook only for herself, and she lived on North Brother Island until her death in November of 1938, the hospital on North Brother Island, uh, where she lived on the outskirts of um, closed shortly thereafter. Uh, Once uh, it was determined you could cure tuberculosis with uh, an inoculation and with antibiotics. Uh, During her confinement, the second confinement, she became somewhat of a celebrity and was interviewed by journalists uh, who were forbidden to accept as much as a glass of water from her. Um, Her death was a result of pneumonia, not anything to do with typhoid. Um... At the time, it was published uh, in the papers that an autopsy revealed that her gallbladder was still actively shedding typhoid bacilli, uh, but this is probably an urban legend as there is no evidence that an autopsy was actually performed. And this is attested to in Dr. Soper's memoirs, which you can find on the internet, and which are actually fascinating to read, um, a little bit beyond the scope of uh, getting into here. Uh, she was buried by the Department of Health at St. Raymond's, Cemetery in the Bronx, but her reputation lives on. Um, I'd originally thought to uh, you know, do a series of, of podcasts on the history of Oyster Bay and go in more or less chronological fashion, and I had planned on making uh, Mary Malone, or Milan, excuse me. It's driving me crazy. I can't say Malone, even though that's not her name. Um, but then I, I thought about the fact that as a, um, as a asymptomatic carrier, um, who didn't believe there was anything wrong with her. Mary's story has a lot of parallels to to the, what we've been hearing about the last few weeks. Uh, there seem to be a lot of people who are hearing the message to stay inside and are sort of like, well, screw that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm, I feel fine. Uh, without realizing that they are basically shedding the virus and um, have the potential to infect their... <laughs> sorry about that. Have the potential to infect their uh, grandparents and parents and anyone who is uh, in an immunocompromised situation. Um, With Mary, um, it was sort of a case of first impression with respect to typhoid. We know quite a bit more about disease in the decades since. And um, that is why the governor of the state of New York is presently going from a relatively loose confinement process to one that continuously uh, seems like it's ratcheting tighter and tighter um, to avoid the spread of the disease. So we can all do our part to stop the spread of COVID-19 by staying as close to home as possible. I, for one, cannot stay in my house for weeks on end, but I am a runner. So if you see me running down the path next to the bay, just give me six feet. I am symptom-free at the moment, but I have not been tested So I don't know. Maybe I'm carrying this thing. I could have picked it up anywhere. 
Some estimates say as much as 60 to 75% of the people are going to get it. Well, and that's it for this episode, folks. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was amusing or interesting. And I'll try and get another one up within a couple of weeks. After all, uh, I'm just not doing much. <laughs> so take care, be well, be healthy, and uh, have a great week. Bye-bye.